Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome to episode 216 of Maximize Your Influence. This is Kurt Mortensen, and this is part two of the brick wall of resistance. That brick wall you're creating, I want to say welcome back to my maximizers, those that want to maximize their life, maximize their time, maximize their relationship, maximize their success, and while that happens, you're going to maximize your income. Spent time in Chicago, beautiful, well, okay, it was a little on the cold side, Got some great food, met some good people, and taught people how to do persuasive presentations. The key to a persuasive presentation, of course, is create your call to action first. What do you want them to do? So let's get started into our geeky article of the week. This one comes from Germany in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology. This is the University George Auguste. Hopefully I got that right. You can correct me if you want. You could always reach me at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We're at Twitter at MaxInfluence. Look for us on Spotify. I believe that goes live this week. And, of course, Maximize Your Influence on YouTube. Tell your friends. Tell the world. Let them know. But don't tell your enemies. You don't want them to become influential. So maybe you want to tell them so they become better people. They learn the right way to do things. So this study talks about to be more persuasive, you have to repeat yourself. Now, that can be annoying if you repeat yourself. Because from a, a logical point of view, when people keep repeating themselves, there's redundancy, and that should affect their decision, remember it more. And so these professors decided to do some studies. Because they had found earlier that people tend to repeat the information that supports their view over and over and over again. You know, have to get that vomit mode. And so they're trying to figure out, okay, why is that? Is that because people remember it more? Or is it this, what they call the exposure effect? So to test this, they got 100 college students that came to the lab, and they were paired with a confederate. Of course, that's someone who's in another study. They were told they'd be deciding between two job applicants who was better qualified as a university lecturer. Now, they were standardized, equal number of positive and negative features. And the students kind of made their choices, and then they were sat down with Confederate, and they sat together to discuss them. And the students had already made their decision, but the Confederate just kind of planted four times, four different seeds throughout the conversation about this other candidate and why they were better. They just planted that information about the other candidate. Those pieces of information that supported the other candidate, they found that 70% of the students revised their initial pick just based on the information, based on the repetition. What does that mean? Well, there is something about repetition for retention, and I'm a big believer that in a persuasive presentation, it's great to repeat, but repackage it. Say it a little bit different way. Don't say it exactly the same. Maybe it's a statistic. Maybe it's a story. Maybe it's a testimonial. Say it in different ways, because part of that is being familiar with the person and what's being discussed. When I was doing research for Maximum Influence, found out that in local elections, political party aside that the candidate who had the most signs would win, right? Being familiar, seeing it more and more and more makes it very familiar to us, and we tend to like it more. 
My rule is repeat, that's good, but repackage it in a different way, and that makes a huge difference. So that's our geeky article of the day. Now, before we get into content, we got to hit our blunder of the week. Homer, go. Don't, don't, don't. I was hanging out with family this last week, and my daughter reminded me of this. (laughs) I'm not sure if I've used this as a blunder on the show, but this is a brutal blunder. So she was around 14 years old, walking the mall with her other friend who was around 14, approached by somebody, a guy, a good-looking guy, a sharp-dressed guy, and he says, are you guys models? They're like, (laughs) no. You like my laugh there? (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) You could get the picture there. And he's like, you should be. You don't represent Disney. You sure you're not models? Do your parents be okay with that? Wow, I'd sure like to interview. You know, Disney's coming to town to shoot these movies. They want locals. And you guys would be perfect for the parts, of course. Ego esteem, ego esteem. And my daughter comes home so excited. We have to drive to the city to have this special appointment. It's hard to get an appointment. I said, look, this is a scam. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This could happen. But it kind of broke her heart. And I said, I'll take you if you want to go. And, of course, she wanted to go. And it was brutal. The social validation on the walls was so cheesy. They were playing a video of the stars that they have chosen. They were sitting down in the other room, just loud enough to hear about so-and-so who they found last month, who got their first movie role. And it was just so cheesily, is that the word? High lactosely was put together. I mean, you could take any of the laws of persuasion and use them for a negative, cheesy outcome. And it was just bad. And it was all emotional. In fact, one of the things they had her do is that she had to do a role play telling, I think it was a teacher or a parent or someone, that her best friend had died, right? Trigger the emotions, trigger the emotions, all these different emotions. It was terrible. It was rude. And, of course, here comes the urgency. Thick contract, high payments. I said, this is interesting. I'll have my lawyers take a look at it. And he's like, no, it's got to be now. Now, now, now. I'm like, you tell me that if I take this, have my lawyer look at it, we can never do this? He's like, exactly. That means you're not fit for this, and you're not qualified. I'm like, okay, we're leaving. And, you know, it crushed my daughter's heart. I think she saw it over time what was going on because I told her exactly what would happen step by step, and she was kind of amazed that I was able to do that, but it was very, very old school. And so the lesson being anything can be cheesy. Anything can be used to manipulate. Use it in the right way. When you really master these laws of persuasion, the 12 laws of persuasion of maximum influence, You become a power persuader because you use them the right way and you're persuading under the radar. Now, back at Podcast 214, I was talking about the brick wall of resistance. Didn't have time to finish it. And we had a Thanksgiving break and a best of in between that. And, of course, you want any of the archives. Those are available on our membership site, lawsofinfluence.com. The archives are free. Just register. Of course, that's the spot. Here's our commercial where you get the 52-week PhD Master of Influence program. And it's pretty simple. Every week you just get a new audio, a new video, and you learn a new tool a week, you master a new tool a week, and think about what that will do to your income and your success to have more tools. Those of you that own a post-hill digger know that you don't need it every day, but when you need it, you need it, and these laws are the same. You've heard me say it. You can chop down a tree with a hammer. But why not get an axe or a chainsaw or stick of dynamite? You've got better options, better tools to chop down that tree. So let's finish up part two on the brick wall of resistance. These are things that you were doing, saying, or how you're behaving that causes resistance in your prospect. 
The next brick or the next complaint, remember you get to interview people after they've lied to you, after you've tried to persuade them and they said yes and you never heard from them again or they said no and you never heard from them again, is being manipulative. And you're like, well, Kurt, I don't do that. Well, you do. You do and you don't even know it. The questions you ask. Sometimes those tie-downs, those closing techniques, the way you bring someone to a close. And a lot of closes can seem that way. Do you want it in green or blue? Which is not necessarily a bad close, but if you haven't tapped into their what's in it for them and they don't care, or you haven't built trust, they don't like you, that's going to come across as manipulative. This is probably the, the biggest one you'll see. It's a, someone with travel. Be over the phone or door to door and say, hey, do you love to travel? You know, Survey. Well, yeah. What do you love to do? You cruise? You like to go to the beach? You're a mountain person? You like Alaska? And you do this? You talk about it? And people tend to boast and about their last vacation, what they did, and how many times they travel a year. And then at the end, they say... Well, based on your answers, we've got this travel club that would save you $2,000 a year. Boom, backed into a corner. You've been lying. They caught you. It's manipulative. Creates dissonance, and it can be persuasive for a lot of people. Don't go down that road because most people, especially nowadays, the trend is they're not going to fall for that. They're not going to do it. They're just going to slam the door or hang up or not do business with you. The next one is that we tend to prejudge, which sucks the life out of you when we think, oh, they'll never do it, they won't be interested, they don't care, they won't listen to me, I can never persuade them. Whoa, whoa, and whoa. Now, I know that probably 50% of the time you might be right and it saves you a little time, but everyone deserves your energy because they could give you referrals. Everyone deserves your greatest presentation because they might do it. Everyone deserves your best because they might know somebody that can use your product, your service, your idea. Don't prejudge. Again, it'll suck the life out of you. They can tell you're going through the motions. That's a terrible thing. They can tell you're just singing the words and not singing the song. You've heard me talk about this before. This is critical that they don't see this or sense it or you do it. My wife in college, she went to school in Washington State, worked at a very high-end furniture store. And bottom of the ladder, of course, and here comes this guy. He's not sharp, very dressed. Doesn't look like he has a lot of money. This is high-end furniture. Got to send the rookie to help him. It was Bill Gates. <laughs> Four of those, six of those, two of those, right? Biggest order the store has ever seen. I know someone who owns a very large construction company in Hawaii, and they come to the mainland and flip-flops, stained shirts, short shorts, <laughs> to buy construction equipment, million-dollar equipment just to see how they're treated. They're like, okay, two of those three, the same type of thing. I know people that dress way down to go look at those high-end luxury cars to see how they're treated. This is real. Be careful you don't get stuck in that trap. It's easy to get there. We all do it. Don't do it. Next one is being argumentative or arguing. Wasn't it Ben Franklin that said a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still? You could win the argument, and I'll agree that's a lot of fun sometimes. You can win the argument, but you've lost the prospect. You've lost your ability to persuade. You've backed them into a corner. You showed them that they're wrong, dumb, stupid, whatever it is. You're the smart one in the room. Hello. Your job's to help them persuade themselves, not argue with them. They might be wrong. They might be right. But if you go down that path, that argument, to trigger that anger, those low emotions like anger, frustration, resentment, arguing will do that, and it's not persuasive. Fun. Okay, if you want to put it in that category, but that is a huge one. When you come across as argumentative, you're the expert, you know more, 
You're going to tell them what to do. Their plan is dumb. Your plan is better. Whatever it is, you might not even know that you're doing this, but this causes another brick in that brick wall of resistance. Oh, and this next brick, you think you're getting away with this one. Lack of preparation. I'm just going to wing it. I've given the presentation before. I've had most of the questions before. This could be looking disorganized, but I think this is more as your knowledge and your background. Because if you get teach them something the first one or two minutes, you've lost a lot of credibility. You've lost their attention. They could tell you that you're not prepared. You don't know what they do. You don't know their exact problem. You're just guessing because most people, this is their problem. But they might be completely different, have a completely different reason to do what you want them to do. You know, in my world of professional speaking and training, I look at Zig Ziglar, who gave the same presentations thousands of times, and he would practice before every presentation. That's a sign of professionalism. Review your notes, thinking it through. Take it a few minutes to think, okay, what could be causing resistance? What persuasion techniques am I going to use? What forms of power do I have? What is their personality? How can I adapt this to them? What questions should I use? What questions could they ask? The more you do this, it takes less and less time. But I'm telling you, for every minute of preparation, it's worth $10,000 on the back end just to think things through. Prepare. Look like you prepared. Know what they do. You have access to plenty of information on the Internet to spend a few minutes to get prepared. Next brick in our thick brick wall of resistance is being condescending. You're like, well, Kurt, I would never do that. Well, you are. And a lot of it's the way you respond to questions because you're thinking, I talked about that 10 minutes ago. Why they bring it I talked about this last time. Why they bring it up again? And you get kind of perturbed. Is that a word? Angry. You're like, oh, we're going back there. I already talked about this. Didn't they listen? Am I wasting my time? Well, they probably weren't listening or you were boring. And the way you responded to that objection, that question was very condescending. You've got to have that door open. Thank you for asking that question. And you got to apologize. Sorry, I, th I should have explained that better. I should have spent more time on that. I'm glad you asked that. Keeping the door open because if they feel that you're condescending or making them feel dumb about a question or objection, they're not going to ask them and you'll never be able to persuade them because you can't find out exactly how you can solve their problem. Part of that too, as you remember, is when you cut them off, oh, here comes that objection, and you cut them off, solve it, but now you're condescending and you're arrogant, as we talked about. Don't do it. Be very careful the way you respond to questions and objections. You can come across, even though you don't know it, is very condescending. Next one's insincere. Part of that's going through the motion. Lack of passion could be part of a bad attitude. You're just doing it. You don't care having a bad day. You just lost a big sale. You just lost an argument. A loved one said something mean. You've got to be sincere. You've got to care about them. They've got to know that you care about them. You're the consultant. You're there to solve their problem. If you're not feeling sincere, if you're not feeling it, you need to take a few minutes to think it through, get in the zone, remember why you're doing what you're doing, that you're saving lives, you're saving the earth. Maybe not that extreme, but you're there to help people and work with people and change lives. And it can be the little things, but be sincere with what you say and what you do because people can sense it. They aren't going to call you out on it. You don't seem very sincere. They just can feel it. It's a subconscious trigger, and it adds another brick in that brick wall when they sense that you really don't care. Another brick is being devious. Ha <laughs> ha. That's part of deception, being devious. 
So, a little lies, maybe. You see network marketing companies where they have job interviews. You think you're interviewing for a job, and then all of a sudden you have to pay for the job? You're like, wait a minute. Or people do this thing, oh, they're expecting my call, and it was a lie? That's how you're going to start a relationship, is on a lie, being devious? Well, I've already talked to Kurt before. Go ahead and send me through. Or I met them at this organization or this party, and I've never been there before. Whoa, devious, don't like it. You've seen the same things done to you. Don't do it to other people because they're going to find out. And even if they don't call you out on it, like we've talked about before, it's another brick in that brick wall. Next brick wall is kind of counterintuitive because every class in persuasion says be persistent. And that's it, being too persistent. But I guess we got to explain this. There's a fine line between being persistent and being a pain in the butt. Persistence can be good when it's done the right way and you're revealing more information, you're helping them out. People actually appreciate that. It takes, what, five, seven tries to get through, and most people do it one or two times. But the pain in the butt, when you're annoying, the way you follow up, the message you leave, the condescending, why haven't you called me back? Or I emailed you seven days ago. They're busy. And if you're a salesperson, sometimes they put you in a different category. They don't return your calls as fast as they would the vice president or CEO. Well, duh. But be persistent. But every time you call, add a little value, a little more knowledge, something a little different. Not just the pain in the butt, getting mad and upset, or showing up every 10 minutes. There's a fine line there. But think about and ask people, are you persistent or are you a pain in the butt? Because when you're persistent, people will thank you for it. Thank you for being persistent. Thank you for keep calling it. I need to do this. Thanks for staying on top of it. Versus pain in the butt, you'll never hear from them again. They're just mad. Or they might even call you back and say, quit calling me. Quit emailing me. Then you know you've crossed the line from persistence to pain in the butt. It's another brick in that brick wall. Another brick is the exaggeration, right? You exaggerate, you overpromise, give a little false hope. Oh, we can take care of that. You're hard to believe. Even if it's the truth, sometimes people exaggerate the delivery date. And when you do that, when they sense that, again, whether it's true or not, hopefully you're telling the truth, it really slams the door. Because that's an old school thing. People do the exaggerate, paint the, the best picture possible. Remember when we've talked about trust, go back to those podcasts on influenceuniversity.com, that when you can reveal a weakness, it actually increases credibility. So go back and listen to that to get that formula. But exaggeration, being too good to be true, can really hurt trust and credibility and is another brick in that brick wall. Another brick, we've talked a little about this, blame. Covering up mistakes, traffic's fault, it's their fault. Careful with that one, own up. When I was doing research for laws of charisma, that came up quite a bit. Charismatic leaders, influential people, they own up. They blew it, they made a mistake, they'll admit it. And that really resonates with people and increases trust instead of another brick in the brick wall. One complaint that's interesting but makes sense that I've been getting as I interview people is being one-sided. We tend to be one-sided. We badmouth the competition. We're the best, very one-sided. People are more educated than ever before. They have access to more information on the Internet more than ever before. You've got to share both sides, not the side that's going to destroy your side, but share pros and cons, different things about different sides. Show that you've done your research, you know what you're doing. Then you won't put that brick in that brick wall of resistance. Being late, another brick. Sometimes it's not your fault, but that's a big complaint. Get there early. And if every once in a while you're late, they'll be forgiving, but it's a trend. Late for a phone call, for an appointment, to send out an email. If you promise anything, 
get there a little early. Give yourself a little extra time to make sure you get there on time because something's going to happen. Traffic's going to happen, and you've got to get there on time because that's a huge complaint and a big brick. couple more, no diagnosis. Where they feel that you don't understand their business, you haven't given them any choices, that one size fits all, you haven't asked enough questions. They feel that you really don't understand their sickness, their illness, their disease, their problem, and you're just giving them the solution that you had before you even came in. You didn't spend the time to consult, to ask the questions, to find out their pain, where they're going, what they like, what they don't like, and they just feel that you're just here, one size fits all, this is what you need to do. You don't understand them, you didn't ask the right questions, and that can really hurt the persuasion process because you're just giving them the one solution and it could be the right solution for them but in their mind you haven't asked enough questions to do that and final one we can all get better on this one is no follow-through right you just didn't follow through you didn't respond with the stuff you promised you didn't give them the the quote or didn't give them on time you haven't followed through you didn't follow up they don't they expect you to do the follow-up you're the persuader you're the influencer you're the negotiator you have to do that follow-up. So that's part two in the brick wall of resistance. Pick one that we talked about. Go back and listen to pick one that you could fix this week, this month. And as you work on these, you'll get other people to want to do what you want them to do and like doing it. And that's the key. You won't be creating that resistance and people will persuade themselves. So master these skills. Remember what we've talked about. Thanks for listening. Tell your family and friends about the podcast. InfluenceUniversity.com is where we're holding the archives of the podcast. And, of course, visit us and like us on YouTube at Maximize Your Influence. So with that, go out and persuade with power.